welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. So, Andy, uh, you know how we said last time we'd be diving into the final episode of the Saga Summary? In this, our 14th episode on Ale Saga? You know, I remember it vividly, and I've been looking forward to it, John. Why do you ask? Have you? Because <laughs> I put you in charge of this next section, and you went a little crazy. Wait a minute, hold on. You're, you're trying to inform me about something that I already did. Yeah, it's the nicest way I can think of to let the listeners know that you got a little excited about the contents of chapters 82 to 87 and created a monster. Hmm. Yeah, I, I did do that. I'm aware of that. And now we can't finish Ale Saga like we planned. <laughs> You've been a naughty boy. <laughs> no, John, it's it's nothing to be sad about. I mean, we're enjoying this ride, aren't we? Why there, get off now? There are only three chapters left. But delaying for another episode, John, allows us to give Ale the send-off he deserves. Oy. Think of it that way. There's just too much to do in this episode that I'm calling our Thorstein Stouter episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Is there going to be a uh, special effect thunderclap or something behind that? It sounded like it had, uh, was meant to be portentous. Oh, wait, let me try that again. Our Thorstein Stouter episode. Sounds like rain. Uh, you've been uh, naming a lot of episodes lately. Yeah. We had the dueling episode, the poetry episode. Now our Thorsten's Thouter episode. What's the next one going to be? Well, it's going to be our final episode episode. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> I said that last time about the final episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I really can't wait till next time. Me neither. Now, before we start, we thought you'd uh, you'd like to know that we'll be doing a live show. Uh, uh, a live show? <laughs> Surprise. Who? What? When? Where? What? How? <laughs> yep. What are you talking uh, it's about? A, it's going to be in West Newton, Massachusetts, uh, which is uh, one of the suburbs of Boston, at the mm -hmm. Scandinavian Cultural Center on the 31st of January at 7 p.m. That's right. Uh, but, John, that's just around the corner. It is. And uh, if you're in the area, you can come see us talk about the Vikings in the New World for free. For free? Yes. How exciting. Not you. Now, you have to fly here. <laughs> I do. But I mean, I don't have to pay to get in, I don't think. Nor do you, dear listener. Now, if I was uh, a listener, how would mm -hmm. I take advantage of this incredible opportunity? Well, it's as easy as registering at their website, scandicenter.org. That's S-C-A-N-D-I center.org. Uh, you can click on the events page and scroll down to what they've listed as Saga Thing Live. Yes, and I'll include a link in the show notes to the specific page, uh, the registry page, and I'll promote this on social media as well. So you might even know about this before you listen to the episode. Uh, oh, it's going to be good fun, and we hope to see you there. Absolutely. Uh, now, for now, let's dive into the task at hand. Andy, do you recall what happened last time in Ale's Saga? Yes, I do. Well... That was supposed to be a lead-in. Maybe our good listeners don't. So uh, here we go. Last time on Ale Saga. After a long career spent careering about in the North Atlantic, Ale retired to his family farm in Iceland, where his wife and five children were waiting for him. He discovered, however, that time waits for no man. And the neighborhood is full of younger men whose fathers and grandfathers Ale once knew. 
His daughters and stepdaughter make a series of good marriages to these eligible young swains of Iceland. And all seems smooth sailing for our grizzled Scotlagrimson. Not so fast. Ail's world is soon upended by a pair of tragedies, as not one, but two of his sons die in a short time. Devastated by the loss of his sons, Ail attempts to end it all, but his daughter, Thorgerd, saves him with nothing but some goat's milk and a handful of dulse. Determined again to live, Ail commemorates his sons in a monumental poem in which he grouses at the gods for their fickle ways. Ail also writes a poem for his old friend Arnbjorn, celebrating his long-time Norwegian companion. And the poem reaches Arnbjorn not a moment too soon, for Arnbjorn gets his ticket punched in battle not long after the eulogy is composed. Having lost his best friend and his two favorite sons, Ail grimly faces the future and begins looking forward to his own death. But all our tidings are not so grim. Ail makes a new friend, a mischievous poet named Einar Bullrattler. The well-traveled Einar proves an important connection for Ail, allowing him to keep tabs on his far-flung friends abroad, while he settles into what seems to be a comfortable old age. But Iceland, the neighborhood, and Ail's own family still have a few surprises in store for our aging Viking. So, last episode was uh, long on poetry and bad news and short on action. Well, we did have all that one hall burning and the slaughter of the Irish slaves. True. That part kind of got left out of the recap, though. Well, I mean, yes, but ultimately that was sort of a distraction. It was sort of a red herring. Mm -hmm. A way to shoehorn in some action by an author whose protagonist isn't fighting actively anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that Ail's any less cantankerous or dangerous. True enough. He's just a bit more conniving in how he gets at his enemies at this point. Speaking of which, uh, we've got a streamlined cast of characters for Ail to get at, huh? Lots of people died off in the last few chapters. Well, I think you know that's not true for this episode. No. What we have is yet another new set of people, some of them related to the families we've been occasionally running across in the few chapters of this saga that have actually Mm -hmm. been set in Iceland. Yes, and what the saga does here at the end is almost make a play toward finally becoming a true family saga by mm-hmm. expanding the story beyond Ail's generation. Yeah, no, that's a good point, yeah. Uh, how far are we going to push that idea, though? Oh, pretty far, I think. But uh, why don't we get a quick preview of the episode's story before we try putting our shoulders to work, pushing our arguments? Wow. Don't strain a muscle trying to push that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what do we have in store? Long before Ale was born, his father Scott the Grim landed in Iceland and claimed all that he could see from mountain to the shore. All of the Murer marshland out to Selilon, and the land up to the Borgerhraun lava field, and south to the Hafnarfjord mountains, and all the land that crossed by the rivers down to the sea. He took the land nearest where his father had washed ashore for himself, and called the farmstead he built there Borg. He also gave land to his crew, a band of loyal followers who had helped him avenge the death of his brother Thorolf. Among them was Auni, who was given the land between Longa River and the Hafslok Brook, not far from Skatligrim's property at Borg. Auni lived at this farmstead which he called Aunabreka and raised his son Onan Sioni there. As one generation gives way to the next, Borg was transferred over to Eil, Skatligrim's son, and Onan Sioni was given control of Aunabreka. 
And then as Eil and Onensioni grew too old to care for the farms themselves, they turned their farmsteads over to their own sons, Eil to Thorsten and Onensioni to his son Steno. But Thorsten Eilson soon learns that a bad neighbor is a misfortune as much as a good one is a blessing. When Steinar ignores the traditional boundaries between Arnebrek and Borg, grazing his cattle on the fertile lands at Stauksmud. And after several warnings from a patient Thorsten, Steinar and his slaves push their neighbor to the limit. Harsh words are exchanged, and then blood is spilt. Despite his transgressions, Steinar takes issue with the killings over Stocksmuri and pursues legal action against Thorsten, seeking the ultimate penalty of fool outlawry. Will Steinar find the support he needs to destroy Thorsten and Ail's family name for good? Will Thorsten fight back and show Steinar who's really in charge? And who's that large fellow dressed in black, riding this way over the horizon? He looks like trouble. Find out, as Saga Thing takes on... Ale Saga, chapters 82 to 87. Alright, so th this last part of the saga really does draw the focus to Ale's son, Thorsten. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get back to Ale for the last couple of chapters in our next episode, but for chapters 82 to 87... Ail's sort of a background figure in Thorsten's story. Right. Now, like we said before the preview, Ail's saga becomes a more traditional family saga as it moves towards its conclusion. And as our listeners know by now, most family sagas begin a generation or two before the protagonist and then the end a generation or two after. So with Ail fading into the background of the narrative, the focus shifts to his only surviving son, Thorsten. For me, this final section feels different enough that I like to think of it as a Thauter of Thorsten Ailson that is then appended to his father's saga, thus the name of the episode. Yeah, that is going pretty far. Pretty far? It's not like that's an unprecedented idea, John. A few sagas that we've already covered have done something like that. Like uh, Gretir's saga comes to mind. And sure. Even Njal's saga has the late chapters focused on Kauri Selvunderson, uh, his lifetime obsession of getting revenge against the burners who killed his son and the in-laws. That's that's basically oh, yeah. a thouter too. No, I, I got it. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. This has all the characteristics of a Thouter, but any effort we make to categorize this section is kind of like putting the debate cart before the story horse. The debate cart. Now, you know what I mean. Uh, let's uh, let's light this powder keg and see what happens. Well, I'm eager to get this one rolling. Let's do it. Oh, like a dung beetle to a cow pie. <laughs> what? Part forty-six. Father and son. It's not time to make a change. Just relax. What? What? Take it easy. What, what are you doing? Cat Stevens, father and son. You, I thought uh, you set me up. No, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, well, that... You should know better than to sing on this podcast. People actually listen, you know. Yeah, not many, though, so I'll be fine. <laughs> it's not karaoke. Uh, now, this section is going to be real simple. Uh, we're just providing a quick introduction to Ail's son, Thorsten, who's the protagonist of this episode. That'll allow us to hit the ground running when we jump into the story proper. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so here's what the saga author says about Thorstein in his introductory chapter. I think it's 82 in the saga. Thorstein Eilson was a very handsome man with fair hair and a fair complexion. Uh, this sounds familiar. Yes, it does. He, he was a tall and strong man, although not on his father's scale. 
Thorsten was a wise and peaceful man, a, a model of modesty and self-control. Right. So in other words, he's the exact opposite of his father. That's right. Uh, Thorstein is clearly more of a Thoroff than a Grimm or an Ale. Right. And we, we talked about this a bit uh, back in Gunlag Saga, mm-hmm. which is the last time that we encountered Thorstein Aelson. That's right. Uh, and we talked about, at that point, that this family, the Murar clan, split into these uh, good-looking, outgoing, popular people. And then they're kind of dark opposites, These the antisocial uh, often monstrous figures mm-hmm. uh, who represent the other side of the family. And Thorsten is very much of that same side of the family as Thorolf, the, the good-looking, outgoing type. Yeah. Uh, but now the, 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 line that, the line that immediately follows that description is worth reading too. Uh, after describing Thorsten as a model of modesty and self-control, the author says, Ale was not very fond of him. <laughs> <laughs> now, that doesn't mean, though, I mean, I'm not surprised, but uh, it doesn't mean that Thorsten's got no love at home. Uh, we're also told there that Thorsten and his mother Asgard were very close. Right. So close that Asgard lets Thorsten ride to the Althing one summer with a fine silk cloak that Arnbjorn had given to Ale. Uh, Thorsten wore it during the procession to the Law Rock. And he got the hem all dirty. Oh, he should know better. Which means he's not quite as tall as his father, doesn't it? Right. (laughs) Rather than even attempting to clean it when Thorstein got home, Oscar just put the cloak back in the chest, hiding what had been done. Now, this is either a symbolic act on Asgard's part, or she just assumes that old man Ale's never going to take the cloak out of the chest anyway. He likes to hoard things. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, I could buy that, yeah. Either way, Ale does find out, because sometime uh-huh. later he opens the chest and discovers that his fancy cloak is ruined. I see. And when he asks Asker what happened, she doesn't hesitate to tell him. Her lack of hesitation, her, her forthrightness, I think, uh, supports mm-hmm. for me the theory that this could be an act of defiance. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, Andy, do you know what uh, uh, where this cloak uh, comes in in other sagas? Not this yeah. cloak specifically, but the same... Uh, the same type? Oh, the, this idea of dragging the cloak and getting it dirty? No, no. Uh, the This beautiful cloak, this beautiful multi-hued cloak that Arambjorn gave to Ale. It's the exact same uh, description that is given of the cloak that uh, is added to the settlement that Njal adds to the settlement with Flosi that is treated as an insult. This is the cloak? Go walk me through that episode. I do remember that moment. It's not the exact same cloak. It's just the exact same words are used to describe it. Okay, that's, but I'm, in, not, I'm less impressed now. <laughs> right, but it's in in uh, in Yal's saga, it's treated as an effeminate garment that is an insult. Rather than I a see. Gift. You're talking about the fine silk cloak, this right, beautiful exactly, thing, exactly. Yes. Uh, where Ale uh, is delighted to receive this gift and thinks very highly of it. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to either the dandification of Ale, which we have seen before that he he is a bit of a clothes horse, uh, but it also speaks to the idea that Flosi was. Picking a fight, right? That he chose to be insulted by Nyal's gift mm. rather than that there was something inherently insulting about the garment. I'm going to go ahead and say that I, I don't see the same connection and they're two separate <laughs> episodes, two different cloaks, two different sure. contexts. So, But I'm it's the only reject- two times in the sagas that the word is used to describe, that the silken garment is used to describe a, a piece of clothing. I mean, there's some potential there. I'm yep. just going to uh, let it go. Anyway, uh, so uh, to, to look at what happens at this moment uh, as he often does Ale expresses his feelings about his ruined cloak in a poem I had 
little need of an heir to use my inheritance. My son has deceived me in my lifetime. I call that treachery. The horsemen of the sea could well have waited for other sea skiers to pile rocks over me. So he's saying that Thorsten, the horseman of the sea or the man, right. could have at least waited until I was dead, covered with rocks, before seizing my treasures. Right. And perhaps that's a source of tension between the two. Uh, from Ale's perspective, Thorsten appears to be overreaching. And he's unworthy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not as big as him. He's not as uh, domineering. Right. Well, he's not favored. right? Remember, yeah. Ale had sons he loved, right? but yeah. they're gone. Thorsten right. is the other son. That said, Ale isn't stingy with his son. After Thorstein marries Jofrid Gunnarsdalter and Oskar dies, Ale decides to turn the farm over at Borg to Thorstein, and he moves himself to Mosfell, where he lives with his stepdaughter Thordis and her husband Grim. Right, Jofrid doesn't get much play in this saga, but she's an interesting figure, and we've encountered her a few times. That's right, yeah. She plays an important role in the saga of Gunlaug's Serpent Tongue. Yeah, indeed she does. If you go back and listen to that episode, or... Better yet, read the saga where you actually might get something useful. You'll encounter Jofrid and Thorsten early on when they discover that Jofrid is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just before heading off to the all thing, Thorsten tells her that she must expose the baby if it is born a girl. Yes. But if it is born a boy, then it should be kept and raised. And yeah. Do you remember what happens, Andy? I do. I remember this one. Um, it's been a while, though. Uh, Jofrid does have a girl. And rather than expose the child, she pays someone to take the child to Thorgerd, Ail's daughter, which That's is her right. sister-in-law. And then Thorgerd and her husband, Olaf Peacock, who we've still got to cover, uh, they raise the girl <laughs> for a while. Yes, and, uh, and who does that young girl turn out to be? Why, it's Helga the Fair, of course. Yes. The point of that love triangle in the saga of Gunlog Serpentong. Well done. Mm-hmm. It was a group effort. We did it together. But uh, you said that Jofrid appears in another saga, and that I don't recall. Which one is that? Yeah, no, she shows up at the very end of Henthor's oh, saga. does she now? Yep. Uh, remember, uh, Jofrid is the daughter of Gunnar Hlifrasen. It was an important figure in Henthor's saga. Mm. Uh, and the saga ends with Thorod, the son of Tunguad, pursuing Jofrid's hand in marriage. And he kind of forces the issue by threatening to fight her father. Oh, yes. Yeah. We, we, yeah. I remember that. And uh, Jofrid mm. was not too happy about that match. No, no, no. Uh, fortunately for her, she doesn't put up with Thorod for long. He heads out to Norway in search of his brother Thorvald, and he never comes back. Ah. Which is how Jofrid soon found herself available again. Mm-hmm. And so she married the handsome and charming Thorsten Ailson, and is a very lucky girl for it. I guess. I mean, the only other thing worth mentioning as we wrap up this intro to Thorsten and Jofrid is that they did have a very, very large family. Oh, we got, yeah. I was doing the genealogy. They have something like mm-hmm. 10 kids, right? Yeah, and that's the 10 that survived to adulthood and made it into the records. Mm. Uh, we'll talk a bit about their descendants at the end of the episode, or actually probably next week, uh, next time we, we record. Yeah. Uh, so no need to delay over that now. No, no. So uh, while they become important to Iceland's history, none of them are going to play a significant role in this story that we're about to tell or even in our right. next episode. And uh, speaking of the story, can we get to it? Well, onward and upward, my friend. Part 47, Greener Pastures. Not far to the west of Ail's property at Borg, there's a farmstead between the Longa River and Haufslach, 
which is more of a brook than a river. Mm-hmm. And this property is called Aunabreka. The farm was named for Scott Ligram's friend, Auni, one of the men who came to Iceland with Ail's father. Right. Now, this distribution of property to Scott Ligram's friends and followers was covered in detail in Chapter 28. Um, we rattled off a list of names back in, I think it was Episode 4 of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't cover all of them, and we'll understand if you don't remember. Yes. Now, Auni doesn't really play a role in this saga beyond giving his name to the farm at Aunabreka. But his son has a minor role. You might remember this guy. Onund Sioni. Onund Sioni, son of Auni from Anabreka. Yes, that's what I said. Just Onund a minute ago. Sioni, the man who may or may not be a shapeshifter. That's more like it, yes. His nickname, Sioni, which presumably means the guy who keeps showing up in the saga without being relevant. <laughs> yes. No, it, it means it means keen sighted. Uh, yes, we'll see in a minute. There's a possibility of a bit of irony there. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the guy. Now, Onund was awkwardly inserted into one of Ail's trips to Norway a few episodes back. And yeah. we made a deal out of him maybe or maybe not being a shapeshifter because it was an interesting detail. But it turns out that he didn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. He was introduced as a loyal friend to Ail at that point, in part to set up, I think, this episode late in the saga. He serves right. no other function than to set <laughs> no. this up. Uh, no, and of course, the irony of Onan's name is that as he grows older, which he does as soon as he becomes relevant, his vision yes. begins to fade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. His eyes dim. Uh, so uh, he turns his farm over to his son, Stainer, who we're told is exceedingly large and strong. An ugly man, stooping, with long legs but a short trunk. He was a great troublemaker, overbearing, difficult to deal with, and ruthless. And very quarrelsome. <laughs> okay, now, in any other saga, I'd guess that Stainar is being set up to be our villain. Mm-hmm. But this is Ale Saga. Doesn't that basically describe Ale? Yeah, it kind of does. And, and Odin's <laughs> worsening eyesight, by the way, is also something of a parallel to Ale's late-life vision problems, which we'll get into next time. Uh, but no, I mean, that, that string of negative attributes is definitely setting Stainar up as the villain of the episode. Yeah, that's right. And it turns out that Thorsten, who is, remember, handsome, rational, fair, and even-tempered, mm-hmm. also has a long list of descriptors, he right. doesn't get along with Stainer. Right. And uh, right, just south of Hasluck Brook, which marks the boundary between Thorsten's property and Stainer's, there's a marsh called Stocksmuri. Uh, it's submerged in the wintertime, but in the spring it emerges with some of the best pasture land in the region. Yes, and if you look at the Icelandic saga map, which you can find at sagamap.hi.is, it's one of my favorite places to hang out mm-hmm. while I'm reading a saga, the marker for Stauksmuri is placed right next to Borg for some reason, and <laughs> I don't think this is right. Yeah. Uh, given the description in the saga, it has to be just south of where the Hauslak River or brook cuts west towards Aunabreka. And if you've been to Borgenes and driven by Borgamurum uh, towards Snaffelsnes, then you would have passed Stauksmuri on your left shortly after Snaffelsnesvegur curves northward. And had I been thinking about it when I was in Iceland driving towards Snaffelsnes from Borgenes, then I would have stopped and snapped a photo. But, John, I'm lame and <laughs> I didn't think of it and I have nothing to show for that. Well, there's always next time. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know what we could do? Let's put together a Saga Thing adventure package for Iceland. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listeners can get a guided tour for a one-time fee of whatever, uh, and we could take them around saga-related sites and give them our our insights. Oh my god, I can't think of anything people would want to do less than to basically hear a live and therefore unedited version of this podcast. That's right. Uh, while they travel around Iceland. Come stand with uh, us in a marshland for six right. hours while we tell you the stories. <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get on that in our spare time. We'll just uh, put together that whole thing. Sure. Absolutely. Anyway, the trouble starts when Steiner lets his cattle roam across Hausleck to graze on the greener pastures of Stocksmuri. Thorsten's farmhands see this and complain, but Steiner doesn't seem to care about yeah, those nothing, complaints. Nothing comes of this in the first year. Uh, Thorsten is aware of Steinar's incursion on his land, but he does nothing about it. Hmm. Uh, when Steinar comes back in the spring and grazes his cattle in Stuxmuddy again, Thorsten approaches Steinar and calmly reminds him that his property line ends at Hauslock. And could he please not graze his cattle on pasture land that does not belong to him? See, that's very polite and level-headed. That's, that's what he's known as. See, I'm sure it was just a misunderstanding anyways. Stainer yeah. is new to running things at Annabrecca after all, and maybe maybe he just needed a reminder. This is a good move by Thorstein. Yeah, I don't think so, no. Uh, <laughs> Stainer replies he doesn't care where the traditional lines were drawn, and uh, he doesn't care where his cattle go. As far as he's concerned, the cattle can graze where they please. Yeah, see, that makes it sound intentional. And I'm starting to think that this Stainer character might be a little overbearing, a little difficult to deal with, uh-huh. ruthless, uh-huh. maybe a bit quarrelsome. Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah, and Thorstein's not too happy about this. They then exchange harsh words, and Thorstein has Stainer's cattle driven back over Hausleck Brook. Right, now it's important to note here that Stainer and Thorstein are not tending the cattle themselves. Right. Thorsten would have heard about the cattle grazing from his farmhands and then would likely have ridden to Annabrecca to discuss the matter with Stainar. That's right, yeah. Stainar and Thorstein are both wealthy landowners at this point, and they have slaves to tend the livestock and other menial tasks around the farm. So when Thorstein has the cattle driven back across the brook where the two properties meet, he's not doing this himself or even in front of Stainar. Right, sure. Uh, but Stainar isn't going to let Thorsten or his servants push him around. So he sends a slave, a man named Grouny, to watch over the cattle as they graze at Stocksmoody. And Grouny watches over the cattle every day until late in summer, uh, and until the pasture south of House Luck has been completely grazed. It's almost as if Stainer doesn't expect Thorstein to do anything about mm-hmm. it. So he's clearly a bully taking advantage of Thorstein's more level-headed disposition. He's no ale, in other words, and there's mm-hmm. nothing to worry about. Now, like Ale, I think that Stainer assumes that Thorstein is going to be a pushover. But I think Ale and Stainer are both underestimating Thorstein. Because one day, late in the summer, Thorstein himself goes out to the Stocksmuri to see where Stainer's cattle were grazing. And when he spots Grani and the cattle on his property, he rushes out onto the meadows. Right. Now, Grani sees him coming and immediately starts driving the cattle back into Annabrecca as fast as he can. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he managed to get them across the property line and to the milking pens before Thorstein can catch up. Yeah, but Thorstein does eventually meet up with Grani near the gate to the farm at Annabrecca. And Thorstein isn't in the mood to remind anyone who owns what. He kills Grani and then pulls the rock wall down to cover his body, and then he heads home. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a bit awkward because he's now, of course, he's killing Grani on Stanar's property. 
He is. Uh, but we should true. be clear, he's not covering the body to hide it. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, with, remember that according to Icelandic law, it was illegal to leave a body exposed to the elements or to scavengers. Thorstein covers the body to protect it. Yeah, that's right. And although the law also states that he's supposed to announce the killing to the nearest household, he, he kind of skips that part. Well, no, I think that's fair. Um, he's he's actually required to go to the nearest household where he believes he will be safe. Oh, that's Presumably true. the nearest household where he believes he will be safe is his own. Now, <laughs> that's, that's true. You don't want to go to Anna I mean, and say it. <laughs> right, I mean, knocking on Stanar's door would probably be a bit awkward. Yeah. Uh, now, it's probably a bit of a gray area to go and report the killing at your own house. Uh, but I think he, he might be on the windy side of the law here. Mm. Uh, and he probably figures that anybody passing through the gates of the farm is going to notice that the wall has been collapsed and investigate. And if they don't figure it out soon, then the, the smell will announce the killing. The smell will announce the killing. <laughs> Someone's dead under here. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pleasant thought. No. Uh, the women responsible for milking the cattle find Granny's body shortly after on their way to their milking pens. Uh, they tell Stanar, and he buries the body up on the hills. And that's the end of the conflict. No. Uh, Stanar finds another slave and sets him the same task. Drive the cattle onto Stokesmuri and let them do their thing. Oh, that poor slave. Yeah, did you <laughs> think he questioned this new assignment? Did he maybe uh. say... Wasn't that Granny's job? He loved that job. What? Where's the good old Granny? Granny? Mm, nothing. He's uh, he's been set loose. He's free now. Granny's free now. Oh, oh yes, Granny's free. Uh, not the care in the world for good old Granny. And if you go and do a good job with these cattle, maybe you can be freed one day too. Oh, joy. Well, I mean, we don't know actually what, what becomes slave. of that slave. So No, and Thorstein pretends to ignore the grazing of the cattle for the rest of the summer, allowing Granny's life to count as payment for the use of the pasture land. Right, so this uh, unnamed slave is safe. Yes, but he is unnamed, so mm-hmm. did he really win in the end, John? <laughs> Only slaves who die in interesting ways get names. What? I mean, hell, they usually get things named after them. Oy. What does the unnamed slave get, John? He gets to live, Andy. He gets to live. Well, I guess that's some consolation. Uh, in any case, uh, Stanar isn't finished yet. Uh, that winter, Stanar purchases a new slave, a very large and strong man named Thrond. This guy's big enough to be worth twice the price of a normal slave, which is worth it for Stanar's purposes. Stanar's nefarious purposes. Nefarious indeed. Uh, he takes Thrond home and tells him that he wants him to watch over the cattle. I think it is important that they're grazed well, he says. And I want you to rely solely on your own judgment about where the best pasture is on the marsh. I'm a poor judge of character if you don't turn out to have the courage and strength to stand up to any of Thorsten's farmhands. And then he hands Thrond a big axe with a blade measuring an L in length. An L in length. That is Mm -hmm. a huge axe. Yeah, no, it's it's an axe for conducting business. A business axe. Exactly. It's a standard issue Viking business axe. And Thrond is no dummy. Uh, He takes the hint. When spring comes, Thrond starts tending the cattle. He quickly realizes where Steinar liked to graze them and drives the cattle across Hauslach Brook and into Stocksmoody. Yeah, and Thorstein soon finds out. Yeah. But he takes a level-headed approach. He recognizes that Thrond must be a new slave and maybe Steinar forgot to mention where the boundaries of the property were. And so he sends a farmhand over to talk to Thrond and give him the information he needs to make wiser decisions about where to graze this cattle. Right, but Thrond's response is, 
I don't care whose land they're on. I will keep the cattle where I think the best pasture is. <laughs> now I want to know all about Thrawn's upbringing. Where did that come from? He's he's very well spoken. For for a slave, yeah, a, a muscle bound slave who well. talks like that. Hey, um, don't don't is, indulge in stereotypes, Andy. <laughs> you know what? You're right. He can I don't be, know what you I was know what? Thinking. He can be large and have fallen on hard times and still have had an education. Who knows where he came from? Where was he? A <laughs> you know, could have been a monk. You never know. Yeah, but this is not the reply that Thorsten was hoping for. No, I mean it's it's certainly a, a well phrased reply, but it's it a, is it, it is probably the reply he expected though. I think so. And and after watching Thrond graze Stainer's cattle on Stocksmuri day after day, mm. Thorstein does now have enough evidence of Thrawn's illegal activity to do something about it. Yeah, I'm glad you said it like that. I think it's clear from Thorstein's actions in this episode that he's a very calculating individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned before that he sets that killing of the first slave, Grani, against the grazing of the cattle on his land. Yeah. And now in this case, he's given fair warning to Thrawn about the property lines and then watched him ignore them day after day. And slowly building up enough justification for a proper response. And by proper response, I assume you mean he's going to kill Thrond. I mean, he's going to try, uh, <laughs> but he's open to chatting with Thrond before raising a weapon against him. Well, Thorstein's a reasonable man. Uh, so he wakes up early one morning and tracks Thrond down to a, a wooded cliff that overlooks Hauslack. Thorstein climbs up the hill with an axe in hand and, mm-hmm. and he finds Thrond there sleeping barefoot. Yeah, but Thorsten has only a regular axe. Right, it's not a business axe. It's more of a recreational axe. Recreational. Uh, he pokes Thrond awake with the shaft of this regular axe, and Thrond immediately leaps to his feet and grabs his business axe. Mm. Thorsten reminds him that he's grazing the cattle on the wrong property, and he even allows for the possibility that Thrond might have been confused about it still. But that's a bit generous, I think, and not quite as threatening as Thrond might have expected in this meeting. Do you really think that he he believes Thrawn is confused, though? I mean, this this no. feels more like, yeah, no, he's he's being condescending at this point. He is. Um, but he's playing it cool, right? I mean, he's just informed Thrawn for the second time that the pastures of Stocksmuri do not belong to Stenar. And I think that's a smart move, and it would have mm-hmm. been even smarter if he had someone to witness this conversation. Uh, but oh well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so Thrawn says, I don't care whose land this is. I'll let the cattle graze where they please. <laughs> uh, Thorstein shakes his head at that, and uh, he explains that he'd prefer to decide for himself what happens on his land mm-hmm. rather than letting one of Stainer's slaves do it. Right, now this is where things start to escalate. Uh, Thrawn says, You're even dumber than I thought, Thorstein. If you want to risk your honor by seeking a place to sleep for the night under my business axe, I'd guess that I have twice your strength. And I don't lack courage either. Then he glances from that huge business axe to Thorsten's little farmer axe and says, And I'm better armed than you. Mm, the old mine's bigger than yours routine. Mm-hmm. But Thorstein isn't bothered by that. He says, I trust there's as much difference between our fortunes as there is between our claims in this matter. Oh, see, now them's them's genteel fighting words. (laughs) Yes, they Uh, are. Thrawn's ready for it. He says, now you'll find out whether I'm scared of your threats, Thorsten. Ah, here comes the action. And he sits down to put his shoes on. 
Wait, no, no. Why would he do that? I know he was sleeping barefoot, but come on. You don't threaten to kill someone with a giant axe and then sit down to mess around with your shoes, especially if you're the man with the better weapon and the bigger muscles. What, what, what is he thinking here? Well, I mean, that's just it. He he doesn't take Thorsten seriously. Right. Uh, certainly, I, I would say no more than Stanar or even Ale do. Uh, Thorsten likes to talk things out calmly and rationally. Uh, he's already killed a slave at the gates at Annabrecca for trespassing too many times, so we know that he is capable of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's Thrawn's turn to discover that Thorsten isn't a man to be pushed around. As soon as Thrawn sits down to fiddle with his shoe, Thorsten raises his little axe up high and brings it down on the back of Thrawn's neck so that his head slumps down onto his chest. Mm. Kind of a cheap shot, really. How do, how do you think Thrawn felt about that? Um, I imagine he... F- Felt very briefly about it. <laughs> uh, so uh, now that he's got another corpse on his hands, uh, Thorsten once again piles rocks over the body and heads home to board, presumably no. to announce the killing. Yes, I got another In one. safety. <laughs> now, this killing was done far enough away from Annabrecca and Borg that Thrawn's body isn't going to be found quickly. Uh-huh. And when Stainer's cattle are late coming home that day, Stainer starts to suspect that Something must have happened. So he saddles his horse and rides out to Borg rather than looking for the guy. Uh, He arrives at the door and uh, calls Thorsten out and asks, Did you kill my slave, Thrond? And Thorsten (laughs) says, Yes, I did. And you don't need to imagine that anyone else did it. This is is your Thorsten voice? This is what you're giving us? I did. What 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 is, what is this supposed to be? I don't know. It was like ninety nine percent Andy and one percent uh, Cotswold Farmer. I don't know what you were going to, for. To be there. fair, John Thorsten and I have a lot in common. Apparently, both yes. of you good looking, well bred, charming, slow to anger, handsome, handsome, outgoing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't see the difference. It's like it's like looking in a mirror. Yes, uh, he says uh, I did and. <laughs> Just like I would. He said the same thing that I would say. But uh, now, rather than accept defeat and apologize, (laughs) uh, which would obviously have theoretically ended the conflict, Stenar decides instead to go all in. Mm -hmm. I can see you're set on defending your land with a firm hand, since you've killed two of my slaves. But I don't consider that much of a feat. If you're so determined to defend your land bravely, I can give you a much more worthy option. From now on, I won't rely on anyone else to look after my cattle, and you can rest assured that they'll remain on your land both day and night. See, Thorsten should just kill Stainer right there. Well, yeah. But he doesn't. He explains how he balanced the previous abuse of his property with the slaying of Grani by allowing Stainer to graze his cattle on the land for the rest of that year. And now he offers the same deal for this case. You can have all the pasture you want for the coming summer, but after that, if you graze your cattle on my land and send men to drive your cattle here, I will kill every single one who herds them. Even if it is you yourself, I will go on doing this every summer for as long as you keep on grazing them there. Well, well, well. This does not look good for Stanar. Part 48. Friends in High Places. Mm, I got friends in. Oh no! Places. I'm not looking for opportunities for you to karaoke today. Oh okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I realize that may have teed you up though. Uh, 
Steinart now recognizes that things have gotten serious. Indeed. Uh, so he rides back to his farm and then to Stoffholt, where a Gothi named Einar Tateson lives. Now, is his tail between his legs as he does this? Not quite. Uh, Steinart's just hoping to build a case against Thorsten for the killing of the slaves. Oh, come on. Which is not totally unreasonable. Remember, they Are were killed serious? on his property. No, they weren't. Uh, One of them was. One of them wasn't. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, Grani, at least. Uh, so, in order to do this, he's going to need the help of uh, a not-so-scrupulous figure with high standing. Well, it's, this part always bugs me because how does Stanar think he's going to win the case? Uh-huh. Icelandic law is pretty clear on who is in the right here. It yeah. says, if a man's livestock wander into the pastures or arable land belonging to someone else by accident, uh-huh. the penalty is a simple fine. But... Stainer's cattle never end up on Stukasmir accidentally. Mm-hmm. Thorsten does allow that it's a possibility in each case before he acts, though. So he's he's aware of the law. But uh-huh. it's clearly intentional each time, though Stainer cleverly shifts the blame to Throned by telling him to graze the cattle wherever he thinks is best. Right. But either way, Throned, Grani, and Stainer all know the property lines and willfully graze the cattle on Thorstein's land. And the Gragas clearly states that if a man has his stock driven into another man's land or it is his intention that it go there, then the penalty is lesser outlawry. Right. See, the problem here is that you said yourself a few moments ago that it would be nice if Thorstein had a witness for some of these conversations. Well, your the, argument, he does. Your argument is based on the conversations that no one witnessed except no, no, no. Thorsten and some dead men. His witnesses are his farmhands who he always sends first into the encounter. Mm-hmm. The farmhands go and say, here's where the property lines lie. Or he oh, goes no. with his farmhands and, do, and and does that. So right. they all know where the property is. Mm, I think you can certainly make a case for they're in the wrong place. But that lesser penalty of a fine... Uh, might be what you're going for there. That's and the problem with accidental. that, of course, is that then when you respond to that by killing, now you've committed a potentially actionable crime. Uh, let me let me just, John. I'm Thorsten. I my farmhands are complaining that this guy's mm-hmm. coming into our land and right. grazing his cattle there, so they already know. Right. Then either I send them to talk to the guy, or mm-hmm. I go myself. And Uh that's all known from conversations that it happened. Then we wait several days watching over and over again as they do the same thing after they've been told. Mm -hmm. We don't have witnesses that this was, say, an intentional act. Um, It's somehow magically accidental. I'm looking for, in my mind right now, any precedent where the slaves of a house owner are called upon to testify in support of the house owner. Slaves and farmhands Sla- aren't necessarily the we, same thing. We've said before, we've well, that's fair. But we've said before that when it comes to Icelandic law, testimony is not counted, it's weighed. Well, that is part of the problem. Right. And so and that's, what Stainer is trying to do here is trying to get some weighty men on his side. That is quite right. Uh, now, it's true that Thorsten was with, I mean, you and I know, right? We all know that Thorsten was within his rights when he killed Grani and Thrawn. Mm-hmm. And he might even be within his rights if he killed Stainar for the same thing. I think he would be, and I think Thorstein knows this. Well, I think Stainar knows that too, but I don't think he cares. <laughs> uh, if, he, if he can get a heavy hitter in his dugout, right, somebody weighty, 
someone who doesn't care so much about the law as what he can get the law to do for him, I mean, that might help. Mm, I wonder where he could find such a person. Oh, see, I know what you're doing, John. What? I'm not doing anything. Stainar goes to Anartitsen first. You're a Titsen. He he offers to pay Anar for his support, but Anar says it won't make much difference if he can't find other men of good standing to back him. And so, Anar rides onward to Rekidal and to the home of, here you go, John, Tungu'ad. Yes, Tungu'ad. That name sounds familiar. Here we go. Yep. Isn't he, uh, isn't he somebody's thing, Menandy? I can't recall quite whose. Yeah, is it yeah, yours? Yeah. It's yours, isn't it? He is, yes. I, I think I picked him in Henthorir Saga. Yes. Oh, yes. Now I remember. Uh, Tungu'ad, the guy that that saga described as someone who had, quote, no great reputation for fair dealing. Well, you just have off the top of your head. <laughs> I mean, I did I did know Tunguad was coming. <laughs> maybe, maybe it does say that. Maybe he didn't get the best representation in that saga full of anti-Gothi 13th century Icelandic propaganda. Oh, yeah, I'm so, sure yeah. you're right. That's the problem. Yeah. He was set up as a foil for the idealized Blundkettle there. Uh, we, we, we really can't judge him on just that one saga, John. Come on. Okay, so let's judge him on this one. I'm sure he'll come off much better in this one. Oh, sure. Why else would Stainar, a man whose guilt you just outlined in such detail, rush to the door of Tunguad for help? Because he's an influencer, John. Tunguad's Uh, an influencer. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not going to sit here and defend Tunguad to the likes of you, in part because I know he's a shifty fella, but that's neither here nor there, John. Don't worry about it. Well, it's certainly interesting (laughs) That Tunguad doesn't even bat an eye before taking the money and promising <laughs> to support Stainar. It's a business opportunity. He's an entrepreneur. Uh-huh. He's a man taking bags of gold from men who show up at his door. Well, there's, you know, it's an opportunity, like I said. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And perhaps now is a good time to mention the, now that I've suddenly remembered that uh-huh. uh, John Thorsten Aelson, uh fine man that he is, he's also yes. my thingman. Yes, he is. Now, no one recognized the brilliance of that selection back in Gunlaug Saga, but look at me now. No, I I seem to recall saying that you did just fine uh, with that. So, remember, that was a saga where we actually outlawed the main character and oh, his yeah. opponent. Right? We were definitely scrambling a bit. Oh, yeah. I think you did just fine for yourself, and I'm sure your mother is very proud of you. <laughs> she loves me a great deal. I'll have you know. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of the bare minimum. <laughs> uh, anyway, with his uh, rock star team of Tunguad and Einar Tetsen, Steinar rides to Borg in spring to announce a summons against Thorsten for the killings of Thrond and Grani. They plan to pursue the penalty of lesser outlawry for the killing of each, which would result in full outlawry for Thorsten. Now, this is serious business if they can push it through the courts. Well, I mean, they have the authority and the influence to do just that, which is exactly why Stainar chose them. Thank you, John. That's why I chose Tungu Odd. He's kind of my poor man, Snorri Gothi. Yeah, that's you're still coming to terms with that loss, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, I'll be feeling that one as they lower me into my grave. Uh, I, I will say this. I don't think Snorri would ever have gotten caught taking a bag of gold from a man who showed up at his door. 
Yeah, he would. He might it not have gotten little... caught, but he right. would have done it. Oh no, absolutely. But he wouldn't have been spotted doing it. Yeah. Uh, now you would think that Thorsten would then bring counter charges against Steinar for grazing his cattle on Stocksmuir. Yeah, I would. But he doesn't. Instead, he sends some men off to Mossville to discuss the conflict with his brother-in-law, Grim. Now, it might seem odd for Thorstein to send his men to speak with Grimm specifically, but there are several reasons why I think this is the best possible course of action for Thorstein. Mm-hmm. Because Grimm is a sharp legal mind. He's the future law speaker of Iceland and father of Skafti. Yeah. Early Iceland's... Stop it. <laughs> I was going to say he's early Iceland's most famous law speaker, but I'm not going to say that now. Oh, he is. And I think I think you know... That compliment to my Thingman Skofty is well-deserved. Not at all. Skofty <laughs> is a weasel whose reputation oh. isn't that much better than Tungu Odds in most sagas. So there, John. Boo. But it's true. Uh, now, that's not true. Uh, it's true it is in true. some sagas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, now, as we've seen, uh, Thorsten is a shrewd calculator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grimm is married to Thordis, the daughter of Thorolf and Asker. So uh, Thordis is then the stepsister or half-sister of Thorsten. Ael, mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile, loves his stepdaughter Thordis so much that he moved to Mossville to live with her and Grimm in his old age. So Ael is there in Mossville as well. And you can bet that Thorsten is counting on Ael listening intently to any reports of trouble at Borg. Yeah, and I think this is a brilliant stroke by my thingman, Thorsten. Oh, boy. Now, given his rocky relationship with Ale and his knowledge of his father's temperament, Thorsten must know that he would be turned down if he were to ask Ale directly for help, because that's who Ale is. But if Ale were given the impression that someone else might take care of the problem, then he might be moved to action to protect his former property. Right. Well, the plan seems to work. When Thorsten's men arrive and give their report of affairs in Borg, Ale pretends not to care at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, secretly, of course, he's very interested. He even asks about who's involved in supporting Stanar's case, but in private, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. But there's no communication at all between Ale and Thorstein, as far as we know, and no hint of any support coming from Ale. None at all. Uh, and when it's time for the spring assembly, Thorstein heads out early with a very large party, and he gets to the thing site the night before everybody else and sets up his booths for himself and his thingmen. Now, when they finish, Thorsten tells his men to build great walls for another massive booth. This booth has a huge tent covering the biggest space of the thing. Mm-hmm. But there are no men staying in the booth. Yeah, It's an interesting move. And when I first read this, in fact, every time I read it, the saga, I always think at this moment that Thorsten must have built the booth to give the impression that he had a larger force with him than he does, which I think is smart. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, that's not what's happening, but I think it does give that impression. So you're not mm-hmm. wrong. It does sort of, as a bonus, give that impression. Yeah. So Stainer arrives the next day with a large troop of men following behind him. Well, and then Tunguot arrives with his own huge band of men. And then Aenor shows up, and he's got a sizable party with him as well. Okay, how many more synonyms for big are we going to come up with here? Well, that's a considerable task. Let's not entertain it. <laughs> How was that? Okay. Uh, that felt significant. <laughs> oh, um, no, dude. Let's the, not the, do that. So the spring assembly gets going. Uh, Stanar makes a big deal over his case. Just big. 
No synonyms. Uh, <laughs> and he claims that he has brought valid charges against Thorsten, uh, telling anyone he could that he'll defeat Thorsten at court and outlaw him. What a blowhard. Now, Thorsten, on the other hand, plays it cool. He makes no offer of settlement and ignores Stainer's aggressive behavior because Thorsten's got ice in his veins, John. Oh, man, you are just determined to talk this guy up. I don't have uh, to. The saga but, does it for me. Well, he's he's coming off reasonably well here, I grant you. Reasonably. Uh, but after all the talk, I would say it's uh, time for more talk. <laughs> uh, on the day that all the men go to the assembly slope to announce their pleadings before going to court, uh, Thorsten and Stainer's parties are both there with all their men, and both groups, in contravention of thing law, are fully armed. Yeah, it's a, it's got to be a tense moment. Mm-hmm. When what to their wondering eyes should appear, but a band of men seen riding alongside the Glyufura River, <laughs> shields glinting in the sunlight. It doesn't and really. I, uh, I don't think. I don't think you managed to, to stick the landing on that rhyme. No, I, I, I gave up on the rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> but at their head, hold on. I'll, let me see if I can recover. At their head. Not a little old driver so lively and quick, but a gigantic figure wearing a black cloak and a gilded helmet. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And in his hand, he held a barbed spear with its socket embossed with gold, and at his side, a sword and a shield decorated with gold. You can't rhyme gold with gold. Uh, I wasn't trying to rhyme. This is a big dude who means business. And this this man uh, with his dripping with gold is Ale Scott Grimson. It's Thorstein's daddy riding in with no less than 80 men, arriving mm-hmm. fashionably late, I might add, to make the very best impression. Right. And it's not just any 80 men. Right. Uh, if we're going to keep going with our euphemisms for big, I mean, these are described as an elite band handpicked by Ale, the finest young warriors and the largest men from the south side of Ness. And they're all armed. Now, that must have been a sight to see. Yeah, I mean, it's a minor army. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Ale and his men ride straight to the large booth that Thorsten had set up and left empty. They dismount and they carry their gear inside. See, now that makes me feel like Thorstein knew that Ale was coming. Yeah, it's unclear. Uh, now, like you said before, he's shrewd enough to know his father. And it's possible he anticipated something like this happening and built the booth in hopes that it would. But it's also possible that Ale sort of uh, covertly communicated his plan to Thorsten without letting anyone else know. Well, either way, Ale has arrived in magnificent fashion. Absolutely. Very cool. uh, and when the horses have been driven out to graze, Ale and his men uh, go up to the assembly slope where the pleadings are being made. Ale takes his seat and says in a loud voice, Is Onan Sioni here on the slope? And Onan is there. And he says, I'm I'm here, Ale, and I'm pleased that you've come. I think you'll make a great contribution to the proper settling of this dispute. Now, Ale at this point asks if Onan has anything to do with Stainar's efforts to have Thorsten outlawed. Now, Onan, knowing exactly who he's up against, says, oh, There, there, quarrel has nothing to do with me. I've spent a lot of wasted words telling Stainar to make reconciliation with Thorstein because, well, I've always been reluctant to bring any dishonor to your son, Thorstein. That, that's because <laughs> of our lifelong friendship, Ale, ever since we were brought up together. Wow. So... Onan immediately rolls over on his back and exposes his belly to Ale. Oh, oh, yes, he does. He knows Ale well enough to know when to adopt a submissive posture. 
Uh, yeah, but Ale is not buying this. He's suspicious. He says, well, it will soon be discovered whether you are speaking earnest or empty words, Onand. Although I consider the latter less likely. I remember the days when neither of us could have imagined that we would ever quarrel with each other or need to restrain our sons from committing such folly as I hear is in the offing now. See, now that's a vote of confidence that Onand can get behind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, remembering all the good times that they shared off screen at some point when well, we didn't get to see them since Onan was always just there but not relevant. True, but in his boyhood, they would have, you know, Ale would have been sure, growing up sure. alongside this guy. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, they're good friends. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> real good friends. Let's see how good friends they are. <laughs> uh, so Ale now suggests the two of them take over the case, right? which is which is fair, which is proper. Uh, rather than letting men like Tunguad and Einar pit our sons against each other like horses in a fight. They could find a better way to earn their living than involving themselves in this. Mm, sick burn, Ale. But Tunguad and Einar aren't exactly pitting the sons. They were asked yeah. to help here. So I, yeah. might, he might be stretching the truth a little bit there. Well, he's, you know, Ale's going to toss the insults around with a uh, with a free hand. He is, yeah. But Onund agrees. Uh, mm-hmm. He feels like it would bring shame on both of them to attend the thing and stand by while their sons go at it. So... He then asks Stenar if he'll allow him to take over the case on his behalf. Right. But now this is something that's sort of not entirely expected. Stenar turns out to be more stubborn than we thought. He's not mm-hmm. one to back down from this fight. Uh, I think he also immediately recognizes the risk involved here, right? Um, he's watching his father roll over and expose his belly. <laughs> Absolutely, <to Ale>. yeah. <laughs> and he knows and so he's Ale's not reputation. willing to give the case over to his father just yet. Yeah. But Onand is going to plea with his son, saying that Ale had always done right by him. But he's he's done many fine things for me. I, I trust him better than most other people, and I insist on having my way now. I've made the decisions on our behalf until now, and that is the way it will stay. Right. Now, Stanar, at that point, is sort of, his hand is forced. Right? He relents, and he hands the case over to his father. But he warns, I expect we'll regret it later. <laughs> now, Onan then turns to Ale and says, I will leave it up to you to rule and judge here, Ale, because, well, I I trust you most to decide on these matters of mine and all others. Now, he's placing a lot of faith Mm -hmm. in Ale, hoping that their long history together, which he's tried to remind Ale of, will count for something. Now, John, is this a smart decision? I mean, it's a gamble, but we've seen before, Ale has been extremely loyal to those who have been good to him. That's true, but on the other side, if he ever feels slighted in any way, especially over <laughs> land rights, then, well, all that goes out the window. Mm-hmm. And Ale's family has been slighted over land rights here. And I think that Onan's made a critical error. Well, I think you've read ahead. Well, I have read the saga <laughs> a few times. Well, uh, Tunguad also thinks it's a mistake. Uh, he pulls Stanar aside and tells him he's no longer obligated to be involved with the case now that <laughs> Onan and Ale have taken it over. Yeah. I'm going home. They're they're out. <laughs> Stanar agrees that he is free of any obligation. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking that Tunguad has a pretty good sense of how this is going to turn out. And he wants to distance himself as much as possible from what's about to happen. Oh, yeah, no. He is doing his best Pontius Pilate impression at this point. He is washing <laughs> his hands of this entire thing. Not me. Uh, now, on the following day, Ale goes back to the Assembly Slope and announces his settlement. 
And he makes sure that both Onan Sione and Stanar can hear him. See, that's not a good sign if he wants both of them to hear. It's not. I mean, this is this is the danger. We've talked before about the danger of giving someone self-judgment. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Especially someone like danger. Gale. Exactly. I, I really like to read the entire settlement decision here because it's, it's this fascinating, detailed assessment of the situation. But it's just a bit too long. When has that stopped us before, John? Fair enough. Um, <laughs> now, I can give us a summation, though. Uh, he starts with the settlement of Borgerfjord. I mean, he's going way back here. Yeah. Right? He reminds everyone of how the land was distributed by his father, Scott Legrim, back then. He points out that everyone knows and has always known that the brook at Hausflach separated Borg from Aunabreka. He then accuses Stenar of grazing his cattle on Thorsten's land deliberately and seizing his property, expecting Thorsten to do nothing about it. He explains the deaths of the two slaves was therefore justified and does not qualify for compensation, as anyone listening should understand. Hmm. Now, an outsider's perspective here, this isn't going well. No. But Ale is just laying out the case now. Maybe he'll be lenient. Maybe Onan's faith in him will will pay off. Right. There's this friendship at stake here, right? Uh, and then Ale says, Yet since you, Stanar, plan to rob my son Thorsten of his land, which he took over with my approval, and I had inherited from my father, you will forfeit your land at Aunabreka before the end of moving days and be rightfully killed by Thorsten or any other man ready to give him assistance if you refuse to leave. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Stanar has lost everything. Mm -hmm. And so much for Onan's faith in Ail's judgment didn't turn out the way he hoped. Uh, Onan is not happy about this. Oh, not at all. No, he says, Everyone here will agree, Ale, that your judgment is unjust. For my part, I have made every effort to prevent trouble between our two sons, but from now on, while I, I will not restrain myself from any inconvenience I can cause to Thorsten. You know how when yeah. you go to the grocery store and you, <laughs> you try to get a bag, but it's stuck? Well, I'm, that's what I'm going to do to your son. Yeah. What? <laughs> Uh, Ale is no more impressed by uh, that threat than I am by your analogy. Uh, <laughs> he replies, Well, I expect your and your son's lot to worsen the longer our quarrel lasts. I would have thought you'd have realized, Onan, that I've always held my own against people like you and your son. John, I can, I can hear it in your voice. I can see it <laughs> in your face. I bet you can't wait to be done with Ale's voice. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the honey tea and lemon I require to get through this. <laughs> well, we've only got one remind, more. Remind me to do a, a a gentle falsetto for the next saga protagonist. <laughs> there you go. Well, we've only got one more episode of Ale Saga left and then the judgments. So oh, great. You're, you're, you're yeah, we said done. that last time. And here we are again. <laughs> That's true. I, I don't believe you. I, I'm in a purgatory, aren't I? I can't be sure this will ever end. Well, you can't. But well, you, it'll always be the penultimate episode. You can at least take solace in the fact that Ale is out of this episode. Yeah, but we're not done yet. Oh, no. Part 49. The Glint of Spears. Well, the Glint of Spears, that sounds mm. promising. Well, it depends on your perspective. Well, Thorstein doesn't have any trouble with Stainer come moving days. Mm-hmm. Ale gives Onabreka to his nephew Thorger Blund. Now, yeah, Thorger Blund is the brother of Blundkettle, the idealized chieftain from Henthor's saga. 
which makes Blundkettel Ale's nephew as well, which is kind of interesting. And I wonder why the author of Henthor's saga wouldn't have mentioned that. You know, it, seems, it does seem like the kind of genealogy you'd acknowledge at the start of the saga, right? I, I think so. But may, maybe he wanted Blundkettel to stand on his own merits. I don't know. I mean, or he just didn't know. Um, I don't think so, because he does make the link to Ail's right. family at the end with Yulfrid. Yep. Uh, but anyway, we're talking about Thorger Blund, brother of Blundkettle. The whole Blund family. Now, All the Blunds. Now, Thorger Blund gets to take over Annabreka, and now we are done talking about Thorger Blund. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. So uh, what happened to Stainar? Where did he get off to? Well, he moved his household to the other side of Langa River and settled at a farm called Lerilok. Uh, and he hasn't forgotten his feud with Thorsten either. No, no. Uh, he's not really that far away from his previous home. He He's just moved across the river. Now, granted, the Langa is very wide at that point as it flows into Borgafjord, uh, but he's not so far away from Thorsten that he can't cause a little trouble when he wants to. Well, he does. Uh, so not long after moving days, by which time Stenar has already moved his household, Thorsten and eight of his farmhands are on their way home after building a fence north of Borg. On their way home... One of Thorsten's fastest and most sharp-sighted men comes running up. Yeah, I, I'm glad he ran because mm-hmm. I wouldn't want a guy who's known for his swift-footedness riding about on a horse. The gods <laughs> gave him a gift, John, and he needs to use it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's late, huh? This is what you spend your time on. Uh, and this man's name is Uri. Uh, he tells Thorsten that he wants to speak in private, so Thorsten sends his eight companions on ahead. Then Uri tells him that he'd been up to Enkunur, uh earlier in the day to check on the sheep. And while there, he looked into the woods above the winter track, and there he saw the glint of spears. The glint of spears. Right. A uh, bit of a bit of a clue in the title for this section. This mm-hmm. can only mean one thing. Uh, Stainar is laying in wait for Thorsten to pass by unprepared. Now, Thorstein takes this hint and says just loud enough for his companions who are riding on ahead to hear. No, why would he want to see me so badly that I can't even ride home? Ovald must know that I'm unlikely to refuse to speak to him if he's ill. And then Eri runs back up the mountain. Always running that Eri. It's almost like he has a gift of running. Uh, Now, Thorstein then catches up with his companions and says... They're going to need to make a detour to Olvadstater because his friend Olvald needs something. See, this is a clever move by Thorsten. Olvadstater is near the point uh-huh. of Borgafjord, which uh-huh. takes Thorsten and his men much farther west than they had intended to go on their way home to Borg. Yeah, but it conveniently avoids the path where Uri saw the glint of spears. That's right. And they make their way all the way over to Olvastather. And when they do, they spot a farmhand. And Thorsten immediately asks where Olvald is. And he's told, very matter-of-factly, well, Olvald's not at home. He's <laughs> out chopping timber in the woods. Right. I want to just point out that you are, you're, you're, uh, you're going out of your way to compliment Thorsten for his cleverness here. If this had been someone you didn't like, you'd be yeah. excoriating them for their cowardice at this point. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. That's Probably not. fine. Uh, but it Doubt is fair it. to say that at this point, Thorsten's men might think this is a bit odd, that Olvald is apparently not on his sickbed, but is in fact out chopping timber. Uh, since <laughs> yes. they made a detour on the assumption that Olvald 
had desperate business with Thorsten. That's right. So why would uh, Olvald head out in the woods if he needs to speak with Thorsten? Well, I mean, that's how Thorsten plays it. He acts confused and he says, well, tell him to come to Borg if he has any business with me. <laughs> <laughs> and then they ride back home to Borg along a safer path. And as far as the men know, this is just a silly miscommunication. And they have no idea that Thorstein was avoiding a fight with Stenar. So right. no honor is lost. It's, yeah. It's a good move. Now, maybe no, it's there's a clever power. move. Yes. It's not the most, it's not, it's not the, it doesn't show the stout heart and the, the keen blood that we like to see, but it's uh it's certainly, it's a way of getting around the situation without losing honor. Well, listen, Thorstein knew that he and his eight farmhands were not armed for combat. Mm-hmm. And rather than risk losing life, he chose to go home via Ovalstader. Why would we blame him? No, it's, it's a clever move. It's probably not what his father, Ale, would have done, but it's clever. No, no. Ale would have rushed in and killed everyone by biting their throats out without a <laughs> blinking an eye. But Thorsten is an Ale, and that's kind of why I like him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not long after uh, the situation, rumor circulates that Sainar had been lying in wait uh, over at Einkunner with 11 men. So, I mean, you know, he's also outnumbered, so we can say that Thorsten probably made the right move. Outnumbered, outarmed, all mm-hmm. that, yeah. Yeah, he did. But uh, that's not the end of his trouble with Stainer. Part 50. A terrible thing happened on the way to the feast. Now, in autumn, Thorstein is invited to a feast by his close friend and kinsman, Thorger, who lives in Alftenes. Yeah, and when the appointed day arrives, Thorsten prepares for his journey. Now, going with him are a Norwegian companion, uh-oh, two farmhands, and his 10-year-old son, Grim. Now, Alftenes is located at the extreme southern tip of the land to the west of Borgathor's mouth. Uh, you might be able to tell that I spent a lot of time on the saga map with this episode. <laughs> so in order to get there, Thorsten can either sail down Borgafjord or ride west across the Langa and then south along the shoreline. It's a journey of about 15 to 20 miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he chooses the latter, and this track will take him past Stainer's new farmstead at Leverlach, which sits on the western shore of the Longa River, near where it meets Borgafjörth. Yeah. Uh, now, so sure enough, uh, Thorsten and his four companions are spotted by Stainer as they pass by. And we've seen this before, this uh, riding by somebody else's property as a kind of provocation. Well, uh, as a bit provoking. of... It, it, it is a bit provoking. Uh, so as soon as they recognize Thorsten, Sainar and his men grab their weapons and set off in pursuit. And Thorsten's group rushes to a high, narrow hill nearby. They all dismount and run up the hill to seek the advantage of higher ground. No? No Star Wars jokes there? All right. So I got nothing. No, it's uh, <laughs> The prequels don't exist, Andy. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that's good. Neither do the sequels. Now, uh, Thorsten, I, you and I can talk about that off the air. Mm. Well, Thorsten, concerned for the safety of his young son, urges Grimm to hide in the nearby woods. Right now, in no time at all, Stainar and his men arrive. There are six of them on Stainar's side, uh, and he's got his own 10-year-old son as well. Uh, that's probably portentous. Uh, the two sides now clash in a fierce battle. Now, it's a very public and unexpected fight. The chase and the violent clash quickly attracts the attention of people from nearby farms working in their own meadows. Mm-hmm. And before long, a crowd is gathered and the two sides are separated. 
Right, but by that point, both of Thorsten's farmhands and one of Stainar's have been killed, and several others are wounded. The Norwegian companion miraculously survives? What is this? He did! And like you, I was certain he'd be counted among the dead as soon as he was introduced simply as a Norwegian. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But there you go. Norwegian companions are very lucky in Ale Saga. They are. And once the battle's broken up, Thorsten went to the nearby woods to look for young Grimm. When he gets there, he finds Grimm lying on the ground, severely wounded. And next to him is the lifeless body of Stainar's son. Mm. It's a tragedy for all involved. I mean, and it's certainly, I think, more than Stainar hoped to sacrifice in his assault on Thorsten. Yeah, I think so. Uh, now, Thorsten picks up the body of his mm. son and mounts his horse. And with his Norwegian companion, he rides off and over the marshlands to a nearby hillock. And there, Grimm died from his wounds. Mm-hmm. Thorsten buried him there on that hillock, and in the evening, he set off once again for the feast at Oftenus. Hold, hold it, hold it, Andy. You did that wrong. He doesn't go to the feast. He tracks down Stainar and kills him. I'm sure of it. Now, I, I don't have a uh, Peter Falk for you here, but I'm sorry, John. You're right, hey. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried Peter Falk before. I fail oh, every Peter time. Peter Falk's hard, man. He's, he's deceptively hard to do. Some some people can do it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he goes to the feast. I mean, look, Thorstein traveled all this way, John. Right. You work up at, a hunger burying your son. I mean, at this <laughs> at this point, he's, <laughs> he's more than halfway to the feast. And uh-huh. They're expecting him there. Why waste the trip? Uh. Plus, in, in honesty, there, there's a logic to the choice. Alftenes is a safe space for him. It's closer than his home. Uh, the journey home from here with only a Norwegian companion, hmm? That could be rather perilous. I'm Better not sure to head south it is, to Alftenes actually. And Norwegian companions are indestructible in this saga. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I'm sure I'm sure that uh, Thorsten is the life of the party at this gathering. Well, we don't actually hear anything about the feast other than the fact that he stays for three days and then he prepares to go home and... Several people offer to accompany him, which seems to me like a very good idea, but uh, <laughs> he refuses any help. Well, he's got a lot of faith in that Norwegian companion. I don't that, think uh, he should. That, that, that tungsten, iron-sided uh, Norwegian companion. Yeah. Uh, and this guy doesn't even have a name, by the way. He is literally just the Norwegian companion. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Stainar, meanwhile, is plotting a final revenge. On the day that Thorsten heads north, Stainar rides toward the shoreline and waits. He stops at the sandbanks near Lambastavr, home of Lambi Thordeson, who you uh, might remember from last episode and the Irish slaves incident. Oh, I do. Yeah, he's a big, strong lad, if I remember, and not too keen on letting rogue Irish slaves who burned up his father in his farmhouse live for too long. No, uh, he takes exception to that kind of thing for some reason. <laughs> so Stainar sits down on the sandbanks near Lambastavr, waiting for Thorsten to approach. At this point, we're told that Steinar has a sword called Skrumir, uh, a an outstanding weapon. See, why would you wait until this moment to mention that? <laughs> Seems like a cool weapon called Skrumir would uh, have been mentioned before. I agree. Uh, and yet, this is the first time we're hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, now, before too long, Steinar spots Thorsten on the horizon. He stands up, draws his sword, draws Skrumir, and focuses on his enemy. Now, this is a dramatic scene straight out of a Western, an anime. Get a little Morricone music in here. Yeah, there's so much tension built into just a few sentences here as Stainar awaits this final battle. Thorstein, still quite a distance from Stainar, rides along unaware that his rival lies in wait just ahead. 
It's good stuff. And somewhere in these dramatic cuts between Stainar and Thorsten, Lombi has spotted Stainar standing on the sandbank with his sword drawn. Uh-oh. And he rushes to the shore and sneaks up on Stainar, grabbing him from behind and pinning his arms at his side. Stainar tries to shake him, but Lombi is too strong. The two men struggle and eventually tumble down from the bank and onto level ground. And it's at this moment, conveniently, that Thorsten and the Norwegian companion ride by. Mm-hmm. And because of the uneven ground in this area, they, they never actually see Stanar standing there waiting with that sword drawn. They never see Lombi rush up behind him, and they never see the two men struggling. In fact, they're surprised when Stanar's horse, startled by this wrestling match, suddenly darts out from behind a hill and runs off along the shore, but they don't know right. whose horse it is or where it came right. from. And, and Stanar, at this point, does manage to sort of wiggle free and returns to his spot near the shore, but Thorsten's gone. He's missed his chance. He's missed his opportunity. Yeah, but Lombi's not finished with him. He plows <laughs> into Stainer, knocking him down the slope and onto the sands. And then he realizes what he's just done, and Lombi beats feet home <laughs> as fast as he can. Right. Now, Stainer, of course, at this point stands up and decides if he can't kill Thorsten, he's going to set off in pursuit behind Lombi. Yeah. Uh, when Lombi gets to the door of his house, he runs inside and slams the door closed. At that moment, Stainar swung his sword at him, but Skrumia sticks tight in the rafters above the doorway. Now, Stainar is alone and kind of in a dangerous place now that he's attacked the, uh, the, the homeowner. Yeah. And so Stainar gives up and uh, walks home. Not <laughs> quite. He lost his horse. No, not quite the uh, dramatic revenge that Stainar had hoped for. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, and the day after Thorsten gets home, he sends a farmhand over to Lerilach uh, with a message for Stainar. Move your house beyond Borgerhund before sunset tomorrow, or Thorsten will take full advantage of his greater power. And if he's forced to do that, Stenar won't have a chance to leave. So Stenar is forced to pack up once again, and he moves north and out onto the southern coastline of Snuffelsness. And that is the end of Thorsten's dealings with Stenar Sjonason. Not not a typical episode for Ale Saga, but an interesting one. No, uh, although it isn't. We should say it isn't quite the end of Thorsten's trouble with the inhabitants of Annabreka. No, uh, there's a very quick conclusion to Thorsten's story <clears throat> that briefly explains that his cousin Thorgir Blund turned out to be a terrible tenant <laughs> and yes. quarreled with Thorsten at every opportunity. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. They don't really mm-hmm. give us any detail, but Thorsten and Ale quickly meet to talk about the situation, and Ale even composes a verse about it, John, which is probably yeah. why the conflict is even mentioned in the saga. Absolutely right, yeah. What do you think? You want to you wanna break out the old Ale voice one last time for this episode? Uh, you told me we were done with the Ale voice. I did, but I forgot about this. Uh, I, and we just teased it. How can we leave the people hanging? Uh, all right, all right. Uh. In the past... I pulled the land out of Stenar's hands with words, thinking I was working in Thorgir's favor. My sister's son failed me, gave me golden promises, yet snooze to my astonishment, could not refrain from causing harm. Nicely done. Now, Thorgir Blundor, Thorgir Snooze is, mm-hmm. like Stenar, asked to leave. And then we get this interesting conclusion to what we're calling Thorstein's Thauter. Thorsten was a straightforward, just, and unimposing man. 
Yet he stood firm if others imposed on him and proved a tough opponent when challenged. He and Tungo Odd were on cold terms after Stenar's case. Odd was the chieftain of Borgafjord on the south side of Fita then. He was the Gothi of the temple, to which everyone living south of Skarthedi paid tribute. Right, and the first part of that makes good sense because it concludes the Thorsten's Thouter pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I understand the logic of including the last couple of sentences about Tungu Odd, though. Yeah, it does strike an odd chord, doesn't it? it it's off topic. An it seems. odd chord. I see what you did there. You got it? Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> the oh, I'm glad someone appreciates my work. <laughs> now, the only thing that I can think of is that the story ends with an updated picture of the political situation in Borgafjord as we approach the year 1000. Assuming that's where this saga is at this point, I think that's about right. Now, remember, Ale Saga is a story driven by examples of political corruption, abuses of power, and the terrible consequences it can have for good people. Borgafjord was settled by Scotligrim. He distributed the land fairly to his loyal companions, and everything was great. But as time passes, and one generation gives way to the next, as it does in the sagas, the two sides of human nature begin to compete against itself. The good come into conflict with evil, and Tungu'ad, I think, represents the threat of corruption. He's subtly placed in the conflict with Thorsten and and Stenar, but men like him loom large in the saga as a whole. And as the saga now draws to a close, men like Tungu'ad have expanded their influence to the point that good men like Thorsten, a chieftain in a neighboring district, must contend with him. Thorstein's Thatter is a story about borders, boundaries that demark the limits of a man's influence, his power, and his control. It's about the men who dare to cross them, and those that dare to defend their rights. If that's not what Ale Saga is about, then I don't know what we've been reading for the past year, John. Um, I think what we've been reading for the last year is a saga that has a lot of facets to it. Yeah. And I'm certainly willing to acknowledge that this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Tunguad is certainly, and you know, this doesn't necessarily reflect well on your thingman, but he's certainly this is a a figure who's meant to represent the the um, the debilitating influence of corruption on the Icelandic system. Right? Yeah. Already, we're only a couple of generations into the settlement at this point, and we already see how powerful men willing to use their power indiscriminately can cause trouble for uh, even the settlement descendants who are just trying to be, as as Thorsten is said to be, uh, well-mannered, well-balanced men who are not quick to anger. Yeah. That they're forced to put themselves onto a war footing just to deal with the consequences of being near a man like Tunguad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think Tunguad's being sort of put in. He's being asked to stand in for an entire kind of category of Gothi, uh, the Gothar who abuse their power, even in this early era. Yeah. Right? If Ale represents the the kind of the ideal of the independent man, uh, Tunguad represents the, the, I guess you'd call it the inverse ideal of the corrupt and overweening chieftain. I think so. And that, that fits nicely into the 13th century uh, kind of political and social climate, right? That mm-hmm. that you have these men, especially that 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 piece about the the church and who owes tithes to that church. Right. One of the biggest issues in the 13th century of the Sturlunga Age is is the the way that chieftains exploited their their position of power and exploited the tithes that are due to church. So they they collect these churches as a way of gaining more power. 
Yes. Yeah. So with that, uh, I think we should bring this episode to a close. Okay. Now, we had hoped that this would be our last one, but <laughs> Thorstein Stouter just proved too much to cover, and we wanted to give due credit to Ailes old age and his final days. Right. Now, that, that means there's just a little bit more ale for you to look forward to. Uh, for now, You're let's welcome. get out. Well, right. <laughs> what a treat. Uh, it also means that this is going to extend to a full calendar year that we're going to spend on ale since we started him in February of last year. And what saga is more deserving? Oh, I ask good you. Lord. Uh, now, uh, since we're since we're ending at this point, why don't we get up the listener rune sack and see what the people have to say about uh, about our foibles? Okay. Well, there's an interesting conversation on Facebook after our last episode about uh, Anar Scotlaglem's nickname. Do you remember that? Oh, Anar Scotlaglem. Uh, yeah, I translated that as Bowl Rattler. Yes, you did, Bowl Rattler. Now, Igor Molkin and Torben Bon have uh, had a bit of a back and forth on it that I thought was pretty interesting, and I, I want to share it with you since you never look at our social media. Hey, a man has to have his limits, Andy. Uh, what did they say? So Igor says that Skatleglam can also be translated as tinkling scale, as in the scales one uses to weigh things. And mm-hmm. this is what Cleesby Vigfusson suggests, as I'm sure you know. Um, he also notes that the Russian translation of Ale Saga, which he read, uh, translates Skatleglam as zvon vesov, uh, or ringing weights, clearly working with mm. Cleesby Vigfusson there. So Igor posits... It seems plausible that a guy who wrote poems about a lack of gold was also the type to measure everything on scales, a calculating one. So that's interesting. Now, uh, so what did what did Torben have to say about this? Yeah, so Torben, who is Danish, uh, said mm-hmm. that the Danish translators write the name as Skolaglam. The first part can be translated as bowl, but he always associated that first part with the word skol, as in cheers. And huh. the second part, glam, doesn't really translate well into Danish, but... He says it's the sound that dogs make in Denmark. It's their equivalent to yap yap or bark bark, right? So uh-huh. Torben's instinctual reading, not his educated, linguistically informed reading, his instinctual reading is that Einar gets noisy when he's drunk. Uh, he makes noise when mm-hmm. skulls happening, right? Uh, or maybe a little nicer, he gets talkative when drunk. Oh, I like the idea that he's cheerfully talkative. Yes. Uh, no, this is great. See, I don't even have to do the work anymore of figuring out these nicknames. I can just rely on you people. Uh, those are some great deductions. Uh, the evidence that I've seen is closer to Igor's suggestion of tinkling scale. Uh, there's a story told in Jomsvikinga Saga uh, that Einar was, in his younger days, called Skjaldmerje, uh, or Shield Maiden. Really? Uh, but that he, he then gains a new nickname of Skalaglam, when King Hauken gave him a gift of a set of measuring scales that made a ringing sound and could foretell the future. Ah. So that's pretty close to Igor's version of things. Yes, it is. Uh, wait, wait. Now, Before yeah. you jump ahead here, you said his nickname had been Shield Maiden? Yes, indeed. I hope uh, there's a story there. What? what there's, there's, I have, I, that's all I'm giving you for now because <laughs> we do have a nickname section uh, in a couple of episodes, I'm going to have to provide you with new information about these names. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just right. I'm teasing you right now with the idea that his name was one shield maiden. All right. So we'll he- we'll see him again. That's right. All right. Uh, now, there's another explanation of this name. Uh, and this also was something that Igor hinted at. Uh, Einar's uh, uh, one of his more well-known poems is called the Vetlikla, uh, the uh, the shortage of gold poem. Okay. 
Yes, I remember. And I and other readers have interpreted the bowl ringing, right? I called him Bowl Rattler, mm-hmm. as an allusion to that poem, right? A man playing the beggar. Gotcha. He's hinting at a lack of funds and a hope of reward from the king, right? So shaking his bowl like a beggar. I like that. Two good options for that one. All right. Um, uh, we have one more for tonight, if you're willing. This All one right. comes from Andrew McPherson, who was thinking about Ailes' um, <clears throat> duel. <clears throat> Shut up, John. <laughs> it was late. and He you was were, thinning and the you second were, time. And he you was were, thinking about it, but then he was thinning about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was what was on the thing. So, <clears throat> Yeah, this one comes from Andrew McPherson, who was thinking about Ailes' duels with Otley the Short and Yolt the Pale from our dueling episode. He writes, I had a very different read of the dueling episode than you all did. You mostly seemed to conclude that Ailes' behavior in the duel against Atley was reasonable, if extreme. For my part, I strongly felt that the author is using the two duels to demonstrate Ailes' dual nature. In the first duel, he's the protector of the innocent against a foreign berserker who ruthlessly challenges people who are weaker than him to duels. But in the second, he's the foreign berserker who ruthlessly challenges people weaker than him to duels. Whatever you might think of Atley, let's not forget his nickname is The Short, hardly dueling material. Moreover, I'd say that Atley probably had justice on his side in this situation. His claim to the land in question has been validated by the king, and as Atley mentions, Ailes never offered compensation for killing my brothers and plundering my property. Ailes' monstrous and sacrilegious behavior at the duel itself is just the capstone to an episode in which he performs as a force of antisocial chaos. So, John, what do you think? Well, the the difficulty here is that um, Otley's name uh, suggests that he is diminutive height-wise. But when he's described to us, he's described as being square-built mm-hmm. uh, and of great strength. Yes. Uh, he's, he's no also, slouch, Otley the Short. He's no slouch. Uh, and the one thing that we know about him, the one sort of hobby we know he indulges in is that he's an accomplished dueler. Uh, so he's, whatever else he may be, and he's certainly not of the size of someone like Ale, uh, but he is a a well-muscled, strong warrior with a history of winning duels. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we can make the argument that it's sort of, that it's picking on someone to fight Otley, he's clearly the most, I mean, he's the only competent one of his brothers. Right. The other two are idiots who fall for the, oh, there's a bear in the woods trap. Sure. Uh, but Otley, at least, is a legitimate dueler and, of course, also has some magical protection over himself. I think that's one of the uh, things during that, that battle. I'm drawn to, yeah. He has yeah. this magical protection, where which essentially means he's cheating to win the duel. I mean, cheating. <laughs> By Look. any good standard. Come on Look, now. if I can say as a as a fan of the New England Patriots, if if you're not using every every tool and every trick in your in your bag, you're not really trying. Well, as a fan of the Cleveland Browns, I say, <laughs> you know, muck it up and see what happens. Uh, no, I think it's fair to say that uh, using magic in a duel, while frowned upon, and certainly it's rare that you see heroes using magical protection in a duel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly not unheard of or even that uncommon. Yeah, and, and seeing Ale as a force of antisocial chaos, well, yes, he is. Yeah, However, that's fair. That's fair. In this particular instance, <laughs> um, I think most 
the the way the saga is written, at least right. you're, you're you're meant to see Ale as in the right. He's finally getting mm-hmm. what's his. Um, he's right. fighting against injustice, fighting against a a very very long uh, drawn out um, um, series of injustices uh, against his family. Um, right. So you know, I think um, I, I, while I like what Andrew is is mm-hmm. suggesting, I think we're gonna we're gonna agree to disagree. I think I'd go in a different direction, which is to say that the Yoltha Pale episode is the one that really kind of sticks out to me as really having no other bearing on the saga. Right? Um, the battle with Otley the Short is the end, is the culmination of a uh, a storyline that we've seen throughout the previous 30 chapters. Yeah. Of Ale trying to trying to finally win back that land that belonged to Asgard. Mm-hmm. Yoltha Pale is much more a, a kind of stock episode. It is, but we've it's, seen it. We've seen it in one saga after another, right? The the our hero happens to wander into town just as an uncontrollable berserk has tried to steal a woman from a household. Yeah, and the hero steps in so that a man of the household doesn't get killed fighting this berserk and wins the day. I mean, that's not an unusual sort of stock episode to stick into sagas for fun. No, I I agree with that, but it it does serve a function in the in the saga. It helps Certainly. to to remind us of his loyalty to Armbjorn mm-hmm. and Armbjorn's family to secure those ties for us as of readers. Course. It also reminds us that Ale is actually a decent person, a good person. Mm-hmm. Oh no, our our author is skilled enough that when you stick in a stock episode, he finds ways for it to matter. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that all the elements of it are still sort of stock elements that we can find in other sagas as well. Sure enough. Yeah. Well, that will do it for this episode. Please tune in next time where we will finally arrive at the thrilling conclusion to Ale Saga. Oh, I don't believe us anymore. I yes, feel you like do. we're lying. How could we? I, I know there are only three chapters left. We can't possibly turn that into more than one more episode. I mean, is that a challenge? Because <laughs> I think I think we could. But for now. If you want to let us know what you think, maybe get your question or comment into the listener rune sack, you can find us on all the usual social media. We're on Facebook at Saga Thing Podcast, on Twitter at Saga Thing Pod, and we've also got a WordPress blog, www.sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com, and an Instagram feed at Saga Thing Podcast, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, if you like the older ways of doing things, like John here, we also have an email address at Saga Thing Podcast. At gmail.com. I feel like that list just keeps getting longer. Well, we um, need more social media. You can also reach us by showing up on the 31st of January. That's true. Uh, in Newton, Massachusetts, where we'll be giving a talk on uh, the question of Vikings in the New World. Yes, we would love to have you join us at the Scandinavian Center in West Newton, Massachusetts. Sorry, I was going to look on our various social media for the information about how to get yourself a seat at that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Now, we'll be back soon with more Ale Saga, just like you wanted. <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now.
Onan turns his farm over to his son Steiner. Uh, it should be Steiner. 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 Yeah. Really? Yeah. But we don't. We never say Einar. We say Einar. Yes, we do. Oh, we we shifted because we we were wrong. All right. All right. Uh, so you're saying Steiner? Always. Ugh. You realize you're going to have to cut this part. <laughs> yes, Joan. I know that. Oh, wow. Um, you see what I did there? Oundy. <laughs> <laughs> hold it. Hold it, Andy. You did that wrong. No, no. What? No, yeah. Yeah, you're doing fine. I <laughs> oh, I shouldn't interrupt you? Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I didn't know what you were doing. I was uh, just saying, no, no, just like, uh, you know. I you're going to shit on my Fred Savage. I can't do Fred Savage. I mean, it's Savage. not as high-pitched. I can't you know? do Fred Savage voice. Hold it, hold it. He doesn't go to the feast. He tracks down Steinar and kills him. I'm sure of it. Well, it's Steinar, so let's reverse. Fred Savage says Steinar. <laughs> <laughs>